In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ, with your host, Andy Anastasopoulos. Hello, Christian world. Welcome to this week's episode of Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ. I'm coming at you at a, on a very beautiful Labor Day weekend. It's the mark of the end of summer, and it's a beautiful night here in the little old New Jersey. Before we get started, I want to remind you to please check out my network, uh, ahistorywithgod.org. Okay? In this network, we have so many different podcasts for every day of the week and so many different styles and, and ways to work with the Lord. So just go to ahistorywithgod.org, and uh, you'll find some great, great stuff. I highly recommend it. Everybody on here is great. You can also find my show there as well. There are a lot of other great ones too. So definitely check it out. Pop it onto your phone. Go on an adventure and uh, have a nice Christian audio playing in the background. Anyway, I hope you guys recovered from last week's episode. It was pretty intense. But like I said last week, sometimes intensity is good. You know, sometimes as Christians, we have to go ahead and say the hard thing, even if it rattles people's cages. Sometimes we have to say it. And uh, the crucifixion needs to be uh, preached and it needs to be known how and why Christ died for our sins, why it's important. And it's not enough to say, yeah, he was hanging on the cross. I feel like if you totally tell people why he was uh, hung, hanging on the cross and the severity of the reasons, then um, they begin to understand more. Anyway, moving forward, we're going to go on. Uh, the, we're going to continue the story of Christ and his and his movement. And today, we're going to talk about uh, the burial, what happened afterward after the crucifixion. So, I want to open up with a quote: "He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death." Though he had done no violence, nor was he any deceit in his mouth. And this is from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. Jesus most likely died just as the Passover lambs were being ritually slaughtered. This is a coincidence not lost on our Christians, on all Christians. They would realize that Christ was the Agnus Dei, that's in Latin for the Lamb of God. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Christ said that his blood would be poured out for the ransom of many. The combination of the eerie timing of Christ's crucifixion and talk of his own blood being the blood of the new covenant all contributed to what the Christians believed what was coming to pass. Now, during his crucifixion, there was a lot of chaotic nature happening. A great darkness came upon the earth as Christ died. It's difficult to say, but people experienced thunderstorms and even an eclipse. We actually just experienced an eclipse about three, I would say about two weeks ago. Uh, I actually was in Princeton, uh, New Jersey when I saw it. And um, it was very fascinating. They had these really cool glasses, and they would you would put them up on your eyes, and you were able to it would black out the sun, but you were able to see the eclipse. And it's funny. I actually wondered the significance of an eclipse in biblical terms. And uh, I saw some stuff. I didn't really get a chance to research it though. But it's actually kind of funny that an eclipse would happen. You know, the naturalists would say, "Oh, an eclipse is like so superior to anything." But I wonder what the connection is between an eclipse and the crucifixion, or even an eclipse, and also biblical worldview in general. A fascinating thing happened a couple weeks ago on that fateful Monday. And then also when Christ was crucified, there was an eclipse. So it's a very interesting topic. So people who are taking notes at some point remind me to research the eclipse and also the crucifixion. 
Although there's a good documentary right now on Netflix called The Four Eclipse and how it relates to the Bible. I'm going to check that out. Now, many people outside of the Jewish people at the time witnessed Christ's execution. One of the Roman soldiers known as a centurion thought Jesus was innocent of the charges against him. He is quoted as saying, truly, this man was the son of God. And you can find this in Mark chapter 15, verse 39. And I actually always found that kind of fascinating why a Roman centurion would even bother saying that. There had to have been some sort of divine presence for him because he was a Roman. They believed in a whole different pantheon of gods, let alone many deities. But for him to say that, to have that split second of him kind of not so much abandoning his Romanness, but also kind of like deviating from him being Roman. Actually, I find that to be very, very interesting. What do you guys think? Now, is anybody familiar with the term the harrowing hell? I'll say it again, the harrowing hell. This is an ancient Christian tradition said that the moment of Christ's death liberated the souls of the righteous dead trapped in what is known as Sheol, the Jewish netherworld. And Sheol is the equivalent of Hades or the medieval Christian purgatory. There is little support of this concept in scriptures. However, in Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, Peter says, Christ was put to death as human, but made alive by the Spirit, as it was the Spirit that he went to preach the spirits in prison. It's this phrase, spirits in prison, that is widely accepted to be the souls of the righteous in Sheol. And it's actually kind of funny. I actually just had this conversation with, you know, a couple people a good friend of mine, and I believe my pastor, I think I even said something along the lines of, what about Socrates? Where's Socrates? Is Socrates in heaven? Obviously, he wasn't a Christian. I guess it's one of those questions you ask your pastors or your Christian friends where you're like, yeah, but what happened to to certain unbelievers that didn't make it to heaven or didn't even know anything about heaven or a savior or whatever? I'm wondering if you know, somebody like Socrates or many other ancient Greek philosophers, as an example, who knew nothing of Christ, if they were trapped in the harrowing hell or Sheol, which is, you know, the, Jew, uh, the Jewish nether realm, and I wonder if they were trapped as well and Christ went to save them. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine a, co- a conversation between Socrates or Aristotle with Christ? Or I just had this weird thought, like, you know, what if there was a movie or a story about Socrates, he dies, and he goes up into the gates of heaven, and you can just hear him, hear his thought process. What is this? How does this work with my teachings and this, that, and whatever? It's a pretty good concept. I mean, it's interesting. You know, I wonder. Now, confirmation of death. So now last week, we spoke about the piercing of Jesus' side to confirm his death. Okay? Jewish tradition is that during major holidays, the bodies cannot linger on the cross throughout the night. This will be a desecration of the Passover and the, su- and the Sabbath. Now, the crucifragium is the term used to break the legs of the crucified to speed up the process of death on the cross. Once the legs are broken, a person cannot step up on the foot of the, on the cross and they suffocate quickly. Now, for those of you who remember last week's episode, the crucifixion part of it was you're able to step a little bit to, gra- to get a, a breath. And then you would do this repeatedly until you were so exhausted and then you died of suffocation or asphyxiation. It was also common practice with the Romans to go ahead and break the legs of the crucified to speed up the death quicker. So if your legs are broken, you can't step up and you suffocate quickly. Okay, this was supposed to be Jesus's fate, but it wasn't. And the reason why is because they saw that he was dead, which is why they pierced him in the side with a spear. And uh, that was the confirmation of his death. So the pierced wound was a confirmation of Jesus' death, not the, the broken legs. 
And I think that, I don't know, there's some sort of skeptics. I heard it somewhere. I'm not really too sure about, oh, well, why wasn't Christ's legs broken when they should have been broken? Yeah, well, now you know. Now, the custody of Jesus' body was very interesting. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, who was a Jewish priest class similar to the, uh, the Pharisees, and he's also possibly a secret Jesus follower, asked for an audience with Pontius Pilate, which makes kind of sense because if you notice the scriptures, you know, Joseph of Arimathea was very almost either perplexed by Jesus or accepting of him, and it wouldn't be surprised if he was a secret follower. Now, he requested, as I stated, a, a audience with Pontius Pilate, the man who executed Jesus. He asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, which is suspicious. And this is suspicious because here's a Jewish priest class asking for the body of Jesus. However, from the writings of Alexandrian Jewish philosopher Philo, the emperor Tiberius insisted that Jewish religion and customs be respected, especially by Roman governors. Caesar Tiberius had publicly rebuked Pilate on more than one occasion for stubbornly refusing to respect Jewish customs. Pilate had an issue with uh, the Jews and their customs. And it sounds like he had mixed words with the emperor on more than one occasion as to why he needs to fall in line and accept the Jews in the custom. I'm not entirely sure, but I would I would bet that a lot of that has to do with keeping certain people and nations in check. If you understand the Roman rule, a lot of what they did was appeasement to an extent to keep people and their subjects in line. It wouldn't strike me as all odd for Tiberius to say to Pilate, listen, we need to keep the Jews in line. We have to keep that area in line. You need to respect their customs so they don't revolt as much, so they don't become as adversarial or as a problem as much. So I'm willing to bet that's the reason why. Pilate then asked for the confirmation of his death, and then he granted Joseph his request. When Joseph got to the execution site to claim the body, he saw that the Romans already took down the body. They carefully took the nails out of the cross to be used again. Can you imagine that? You know, you crucified somebody and you reuse the nails over and over again. I mean, those are images that are just, first of all, it's disgusting. You know, there's no antibacteria at that time. I don't think the Romans really cared. And then imagine that if you took Christ's nails and you used them again, what does that say about the people that were crucified with Christ's nails? Interesting point. I wonder what that means. Are they maybe healed of of certain things? Or do they have Jesus' blood in them? Who knows? That's wild. Joseph of Arimathea had to hurry. If John the Apostle's chronology was correct, and Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, then Jesus' body had to be prepared before sundown. Joseph, Nicodemus, and his servants placed Jesus' naked body on a large sheet of linen and carried him 100 yards to the entrance of the tomb. Although they were not mentioned in the Gospels, it's possible Peter, James, and John were present there as well. However, the woman, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, and Jesus' mother were close by. They were able to see how the body was laid inside. As they raced against the oncoming Sabbath, they quickly bathed the body, then wrapped it along with the aromatic spices that they brought. In Hebrew, the name of the burial shroud linen was called a tatric. A separate cloth was wrapped on Jesus' head. It's possible this was the Shroud of Turin, but this cannot be officially confirmed, and there are some issues with this. So for those of you who don't know, apparently X amount of years ago, they found this shroud that was put over Jesus' face. It's known as the Shroud of Turin, and they were able to digitally kind of map out what Jesus' face looked like with the evidence that was on that shroud. It hasn't really been confirmed officially how true that was. 
So just keep in mind that it's possible it was a shroud, but we're not sure yet. Now the men left the tomb and struggled to push the heavy stone over the opening. As Joseph and Nicodemus left the tomb, they were startled to see members of the temple guard outside of the tomb. The chief priests complained that there were concerns that Jesus' followers might steal the body. Pilate had given permission for the temple authorities to station guards to make sure no, one, no wrongdoing happened. Although an apocryphal source material known as the Gospel of Peter documents that Pilate also sent a Roman centurion known as Pertonius. So all you Bible scholars out there, the apocrypha is not gospel, but according to scholars, has some reliable traditions of Jesus. Now, if you look at the, uh, some of the books, you know, I actually just read an article about this earlier today, that there are certain books that are not considered canon or not considered official. It's a lot to do with uh, Protestants versus the Romans. But the Apocrypha is a bunch of books that just are not inspired by God. And that's actually something I'm going to read about, you know, one of the shows for Logos. I'm actually going to tackle that, why certain books are in the or, in, um, included and why some books are not included. So that's going to be a different issue for a different day. But from a historical point of view, it's nice to know that these books may not be recorded in the Bible, but they do have historical value to them. And we need to, as historians, we need to look at the historical value. Now, these guards that were, that were guarding Christ's tomb would be critical in witnessing the upcoming shocking events soon to come. And yeah, so uh, next week, we will uh, go ahead and speak about um, what happens next, you know, with, with the tomb and et cetera, et cetera. Just to go ahead and give you guys a, a side note, all right, I don't know if you guys are aware or not, but the, the tomb was lost for centuries. Did you guys know that? Did you know that uh, Jesus' tomb was, uh, was lost? So this is the history behind it. And the, so the next 80 years was what Christ warned about. Three revolt, there were three revolts against the Roman Empire that ended in disaster. These were made it difficult to know where Jesus' tomb to be found. It was very fi- hard to find his tomb. Do you guys remember that Christ said something about the temple will be destroyed and there will be no stone on top of another stone? This is what Jesus was talking about. There were three huge revolts against the Roman rule by the Jews that ended in disaster for them. After the final Jewish revolt failed in 136 AD, the Roman emperor decided to wipe Jerusalem off the face of the planet. He completely leveled the city and built a new Roman province, known as Alia Capitolina. It was built directly on the old Jewish capital, and Jews could not enter the capital. They were threatened with death. This ban lasted for six centuries. The Romans erected a statue of Venus, one of their pagan gods on Calvary Hill, as a direct insult. And Calvary Hill was also known as Golgotha in the Bible, where Christ was crucified. That hill was also known as Calvary Hill. To add even more insult, this statue was erected on the site of where Christ was crucified. So now imagine the Messiah of the world, his uh, burial ground is lost for all these issues between Judea and Rome. And on top of that, it's lost, and then they put a a pagan statue on top of it, which is a complete slap in the face. For those of you who read scripture know about how our faith has has issues with paganism, and all that demonic ways of thinking. However, everything changed when Rome became a Christian empire. Following the conversion of Constantine to Christianity, his mother Helena came to the Holy Land in search of old relics and holy places of Christianity. Helena ordered the Temple of Venus torn down and Calvary Hill excavated. They found the rocky limestone hill and numerous tombs beneath it. To preserve this spot, they built an enormous Christian basilica known as the Materion. This basilica was dedicated by Bishop Macarius on September 17th, 
335 BC. So we found it, ladies and gentlemen. We found the uh, area where Christ was crucified, no longer hidden, and they built the church on top of it to preserve it. You can actually go into the church and you can actually turn right and see the limestone where Christ was uh, crucified. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's this week's show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. A lot of exciting stuff is happening with this. You know, we got through the burial, the crucifixion. I know it was hard. And now we got through the burial. And uh, just now things are starting to really come together now. What happens next? A lot of exciting things happens with the quote-unquote Christ movement. And I also want you guys to know that this is my 12th episode of Logos. Okay? 12, apparently, in the podcasting world is very, very important. 12 means you're here to stay which obviously, you know, I'm not going to stop recording logos. And then it's, um, you know, then the next pillar, I think, is 25 and so on and so forth. So I'm actually celebrating. This is a very, very special week, and I'm celebrating this week because it's the 12th episode. So, you know, I want to thank you all guys and everybody for your support in advance. You know, the show feels good. You know, I love doing this stuff, and I hope you keep on listening. So thank you so much for checking out Logos this week. I hope you enjoyed the burial. I hope you uh, enjoyed the Jewish tradition with the body and, and all that all that kind of stuff. Please check me out at logospodcast.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Same thing. Send me some feedback. I love your feedback. I will catch you guys soon. Have a great, great Labor Day. And to all you kids who are going back to school, have a great year. You'll be hearing from me, obviously, when the school year comes. So have a fantastic time. I'll catch you guys next week. Spartan out. You've been listening to the Logos Podcast with Andy Anastasopoulos. Visit us online at logospodcast.com and leave a message for Andy to be included in upcoming episodes. The Logos Podcast is part of the Who's Your Daddy Podcast Network and is produced by A History with God Ministries, a history with God.org.